Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and as always, bringing you a person who has run for office to explain their positions, um, talk about their experience running for office, hopefully encourage you to run for office, too. Today is my second interview with someone from Kansas, and this is State Representative Ree Shu. He is a friend of another former guest, Brett Parker, and he's going to talk about his experiences running, um, his personal story that got him and motivated to run, and hopefully you will be motivated to get involved as well. Um, instead of me telling you about him, Ree, um, welcome to the podcast. Hi, pleasure to be here. So I am. I learned about you because I followed Brett, um, and I followed Brett because he, um, I have no idea why, I'll be honest. <laughs> so, um, but I'm interested in Kansas and interested in the people that are running, um, especially Democrats in an area that is a challenging place. So tell me a little bit about when you first got involved in uh, caring about politics on that kind of level. Well, to some extent, I've always been vaguely interested in politics, but I think when I decided that I wanted to take another step and then uh, go even deeper was probably when Doug Jones won the Senate seat in Alabama. Um, I got really, really excited about that, and I thought if we can win a Senate seat in Alabama, surely we could do something in Kansas. And so I just kind of, uh, that night I got pretty drunk, actually, and I signed up at this site called Run for Something. Right. Um, and yeah, and then just kind of through them and through that process, I learned that I had a Republican state representative, and they were having trouble recruiting for that seat. Um, and then at that point, you know, I, I just kind of backed myself in the corner and said I, I had to do something while the political environment was what it was. And so I thought, you know, if nobody else is going to do it, then, then it's got to be me. Now, and I, so, but, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, okay, but, but before that, you know, I'd never really been involved uh, deeply in a campaign at all. The first time I ever made a phone call, the first time I ever knocked a door was for myself. So, um, it just, I, I think the, the lesson there is that if you can sell how much you believe in yourself that, that you're the right person to do it, that um, it doesn't really matter how much quote unquote political experience that you have. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm really interested in Run for Something. It's my favorite organization that's working in campaigns. What, what kind of help did they do to encourage someone like you to run for office? I think the biggest thing that they, they did was just kind of provide a, a structure for everything or how it was supposed to look. One of my favorite metaphors for running for office is somebody approaching you and be like, hey, Reed, do you want to go to the moon? And you're like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go to the moon. Um, and then they're like, okay, build your own spaceship. I'm out. Bye. And then you're sitting there like, what? Like, well, I don't know what a spaceship looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and then so I think Run for Something is really great for providing you access to people who have done it before blueprints to what that spaceship looks like um, and just kind of, again, give you that structure for what a really good and strong campaign looks like. Now, I have read about your background, and while you hadn't been in politics necessarily, um, you had been involved in some social good um, before getting into politics, right? Yeah, my job immediately preceding this was with um, Children International, which is kind of a uh, international child advocacy organization. 
Um, and then, yeah, that all kind of stemmed from, you know, the 2016 election, too, and me feeling like I needed to do more good in the world. Mm-hmm. I've been working at advertising agencies before that, and then it was fun, and they were good, and they were doing good causes, but I felt like I needed to do a little bit more active good. And so I changed jobs and went to the, the nonprofit, and then, you know, as 2016 turned into 17 and 18, I felt like I needed to do even more, which is how I got into politics. And I've read and seen about people, not just in um, Kansas, but in Missouri as well, and uh, in that general area, where there are a lot of people running, um, the Democrats running, who are pretty new to the process, do you think that people are sharing that same mindset after Donald Trump's election of, hey, we can't just wait for someone else to do this? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, you know, I, I am very publicly on the record for not being a fan of his, but if there's one thing he's done, it, it, he's enabled a whole new generation of, um, especially Democratic candidates to some extent, probably some Republican candidates as well, just people who, who traditionally wouldn't think of themselves being involved in politics. He, he showed people that you can and you should, um, and, and people are excited for it too. You know, I, I think if you look at my name, even just that, that's not a traditional name that you expect to see on a ballot or to do well on a ballot. But when I was walking around on doors, people were really excited to see, you know, a young immigrant uh, running for office because it's something they hadn't seen before. And um, people were really excited about it. Yes. And you had a Republican district. Um, and do you, But you are um, a different candidate, like you said, uh, not necessarily the same kind of person who run that area, I'm sure. Um, you know, was it a was it a challenge to you mentally, not about not being smart, but to just be like in the mindset of yeah, I can do this. And you know, what was the reception from people with a different kind of candidate running and what I guess was a more traditionally Republican district? Yeah, uh, it was it was a little bit of a challenge in the beginning to kind of figure out the strategy on, on everything. I, I basically I knew for the fact that it's the first time that people saw my name was at the ballot box, there was no chance I wasn't going to win. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't even going to get close. And so the, the strategy for me, and then it goes into the only thing that I know about politics, is that knocking doors works and face-to-face works. Um, and so I just knocked the heck out of my district um, every single day, seven every day, seven days a week, for two hours at least, I, I was knocking on doors. And um, in the end, you know, I, I skated by with by, by winning by 120 votes. And so, you know, it, it just kind of goes to show you that this isn't something that should matter, but does matter to people, is I'm sure to some extent they wanted to make sure I was quote-unquote American enough, mm-hmm. right? And I think if you hear me speak, you can tell that, like, you know, I grew up in America, like, you know, like I am as American as it comes, um, you know, despite a non-traditional name. And so I think with that, and I think just people are just feeding off my energy and just being a, a different type of candidate in, in a year where people were really, really wanting different candidates. Um, 2018 was, was a year where we saw lots and lots of different non-traditional candidates running and winning. Um, you know, all of that kind of helped propel me to, to a very narrow victory. And you you re- ran and uh, won again in 2020, right? Yeah, I ran unopposed in, in 2020, um, which was a little bit of a surprise. Usually they, they try to not to leave the, the freshmen alone um, for their first re-election. But uh, truthfully, I think a big part of that was, was the cute baby that I had, Astra. I'm sure you've seen photos mm-hmm. of her. Um, I, you know, maybe they could beat me, but there's no way they were beating me <laughs> and Astra. So I, I think they left me alone, but I, I'm not expecting that again. 
Yeah, that's the reason we had kids. I got elected, like, my wife got pregnant right as I was getting petitions signed, and, um, you know, it's really just for the electoral prospects. <laughs> right, yeah, that's cynical, politically cynical as it can get. So, from your experience, though, running in, I mean, people think of Kansas, and if they're not from Kansas, they just think that, like, yeah, there's a couple Democrats there, but the rest of it's all um, very Republican. Um, having, being Republican, especially in parts of Kansas, in your first election, doesn't necessarily mean it's far right wing and not open to change. Right, that's absolutely true. And then my predecessor was a very, very moderate Republican, um, which Kansas has a, a tradition of having. Um, it, it's less so now. We lost a lot of our moderate friends in the 2020 election, unfortunately. But yeah, Kansas um, traditionally is essentially almost a, a three-party system. You have the Democrats, you have the, the moderate Republicans, and you have the, the traditional you know, conservative Republicans. And um, in many years, it's literally a third, a third, a third, depending on the issue. And so, you know, a lot of the times, you know, maybe not on the social issues, the, the moderate Republicans would, would stay, you know, with the conservatives, but on issues like, you know, health care or school funding, um, they would vote for the Democrats. And so you got a lot of really interesting coalitions going on. Um, again, in 2020, we lost a lot of our moderate friends in primaries, just as things kind of got more nationalized. Um, but it's still, I think, a really interesting place to be. And then I'm hoping as we move forward, you know, that those moderates are able to kind of take hold of the party again, because genuinely, I, I, they have done cancer a tremendous amount of good. It's interesting. And I talked with, like I said, um, Brett about this. Um, and I know you talk about your name. His name is potentially more problematic when you Google him. Uh, <laughs> I'm going agree with that. Yeah, um, and I've talked with people in other states like Utah and Alaska, um, pretty diverse places of the country, and I don't just mean ethnically, I just mean, you know, far away places, um, and it seems like there is this new tri-party system on a state level with Democrats, business Republicans who used to get elected, and then crazy conspiracy theorists. Yeah, I think that that sounds about right. And then in Kansas, we have what's known as the Truth Caucus, which is kind of the, the most conservative bent. And they actually have like paid membership to, to be part of the Truth Caucus, which is a sub-caucus within the Republicans. Um, and then, yeah, there's different variations within that caucus. In the super minority, the Democrats, you don't see that as much. Obviously, there's differences in ideology, but most of the time, you know, you're, you're fighting together to stave off the bad stuff. Um, rather than really being able to drive the agenda, which is when the, the factions really come into play. So the problem there with Republicans, and I, we don't need to focus on this too much, but um, is that this is about Republicans in a primary. You, as a Democrat, want to work with moderates of Democrats, Republicans, whomever. But you can't solve a Republican primary system, right? Like, what, what can you and other Democrats do about that system? There's nothing that we particularly can do. I mean, I think there's things you can do on an overall election reform package system. But one thing that was really interesting to me was um, for the presidential primary um, on the Democrat side, in the last cycle, we ran our ranked choice mail ballot, um, which was really, really successful. Actually, we saw, you know, turnout increase multitudes um, and it worked really well. And we had a couple of, of pretty, even conservative Republicans 
Republicans kind of asking questions about it, seeing how it worked. And so, you know, I, I think if we keep that up and, and we can show the Republicans that it works really well on our side, uh, I think ranked choice is potentially a way that, that you know, people can feel better heard, um, which, you know, could benefit moderates, it could benefit the, the conservatives, sure, but um, uh, either way, I think people prefer it. And I think things like that, I don't know if it's the exact thing as you're talking about, but are working in Alaska. It's definitely changing the calculus for people like Lisa Murkowski on a Senate level, but also on a state level, the far-right Republicans have less power than they would have probably in a regular kind of election system. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. I, I think at this point, the 2020 legislature, I would say the legislature is more conservative than Kansas is as a whole. Kansas is obviously very Republican, but um, like I said, we, there, there's really moderate roots there. So, um, yeah, with, with the ranked choice system like that, I, I think people would be more willing to say, all right, I'll put the moderate Republican as my first choice and then kind of the second most moderate Republican as my second choice. And then we'll see where it goes rather than everything kind of getting muddled there with just the, the one choice. Right. So it's a challenging system uh, right now that you have with a challenging environment. Um, but Republicans are in charge of legislatures, even in very in pretty blue states like uh, or moderately blue states like mine in Pennsylvania. Um, mm -hmm. What issues are you focused on that you think that other Democrats running for state legislatures, including in Pennsylvania, um, can you think you can focus on and make some good headway on for good legislation? Yeah, so the stuff that I've been focusing on is really trying to speak to, to rural Democrats or even, you know, just kind of rural centrists uh, who are looking for an out, you know, uh, they're not Chris Kobach people, they are not Trump people, but in a lot of these areas in rural Kansas, there's never been another choice, another choice, but the Republican or especially the conservative Republican. And so I've been trying to kind of find the package of bills that, that speak to them in a unique way. Um, I introduced a right to repair bill mm -hmm. on ag equipment. I think that speaks to a lot of populists. I, I think that's popular. Um, I think raising, you know, wages, I think healthcare, I, I think um, marijuana is a very, very popular issue statewide. And, and so just kind of coming up with a strategy to, to speak to these people, um, you know, I found out in my election, really the only thing that you really have to sell to people as a politician, as an elected official is like, hey, like I'm more like you than the other person is like you. Mm -hmm. And so we're just trying to find the, the package of bills that, that speaks to the most amount of people. And so for me also too, I, I think we need a diverse group of Democratic candidates as well. Um, you know, in, in Kansas, you're not going to, in a lot of the rural areas, you're not going to be able to have the most progressive platform. Sure, that's fine. Um, I, I think all of us that are in the caucus currently will take that all day, probably over then who is currently there. Yeah, I talked with another state legislator, Brianna Titone. Uh, I think she's the first transgender person elected in Colorado, and she made right to repair. It's one of her top priorities. Um, what is, is that something you think that Democrats could really use as an issue to kind of speak to more people? What, what does that mean to people as well? Because I think a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, I think people are just really tired of spending $300,000 on, on farm equipment 
And then, you know, if for whatever reason it breaks while they're out in the field, they have to wait another three weeks for a technician to, to work on the pr proprietary software, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think this speaks to, to farmers, especially on an individual level. I, I've spoken to a lot of Republicans in the legislature, and it, it's a pretty common refrain to be like, well, um, that is one of those things where my individual opinion is different than my Republican leadership opinion. Um, and so that says to me that it's an issue where, where we can make inroads. Um, and then, you know, it, it's kind of a win-win situation. It's either we get the policy passed and it's broadly popular and people will like it and Kansas will benefit from it. Or it's one of those things where we can maybe start to, to find a wedge in there and, and make back some ground in rural Kansas. Um, I think for far too long, um, nationwide really, we have ceded rural areas to, to the Republicans, and, and I don't see any reason why that has to be true. Um, there's lots of policies that, that speak to, to rural Kansas um, that are popular. And yes, they, they, they might be very protective of, of their fire, I'm sure. Yes, they might be more pro-life than, than my district is, sure, certainly. But, you know, it, it, the other issues are, are also important, and then I think it's important that we speak to the Democrats there. And it's interesting because I think from outside of Kansas or outside of rural America, people think that um, speaking to rural America means having to give in to some very conservative thing. But this is not just an issue that will appeal to rural Americans. It's it's actually good policy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's debates, too, on whether you want to expand it to your iPhones as well, um, or if we just keep the focus on ag equipment as well. But um, yeah, it, it is good cons pro-consumer policy that, that everybody should support. And, and really, the, the primary items come from the large companies that benefit from this type of, from you know, that monetarily benefit from um, this gated wall. Now, I've spoken with uh, a few people in rural America or trying to run in rural America. Um, and it seems like the Republicans running don't necessarily have an issue that they're bringing up that's really valuable to rural America. It's just all culture. Do you think that that can change? Or is that just we're doomed to this now? No, I, I think it can absolutely change. Uh, you know, right now politics is, is pretty nationalized, right? Mm -hmm. I would assume in most areas, if you pulled my district versus Biden, it's probably pretty close. If you pulled most, you know, Republican state legislatures to Donald Trump, it's probably pretty close. But I think there's probably a plus or minus five percent that that you can make a difference in. Um, and but the only way that you make that up is by running good candidates and them knocking doors. And so that, that's really what I've been trying to tell our rural candidates is that, yes, you might lose 65-35 this time, and, and, and it's going to suck. I know. But if we keep running good candidates, if we keep speaking to people in this way, if we keep running policies that, that will benefit them, maybe next time it will be 60-40. Time after that, 55-45. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's how you make inroads. Um, and and you, the only way to do that is by knocking doors and speaking to people. And like I say, said, like selling them, I'm more like you than, than the other person is like you. Um, uh, a lot of the, the Republican politicians, again, are pretty nationalized and are speaking on really extreme issues that most of Kansas does not agree with. We need to show that there are viable, good alternatives. If politics is nationalized, and I don't know if there's a way to change that based on 
not just 2020 and 2016, but just years and decades of trends now. Um, if you are getting people to run in every district, are you not just trying to get them to win as a candidate, but to, you know, change the Democratic brand across the state? Yeah, absolutely. That's all a part of it. Uh, I've made it a, a very big part of, of my goal as Democratic House leadership to do whatever we can to speak to, to rural Kansas. I'm going on a, a rural PBS show in a couple of weeks um, because they said, you know, we're, we're having trouble finding Democrats to, to, to come on our show. And so it, it it's my responsibility to do so. It's all of our responsibility to do so. Um, and so it, it's very easy to have... AOC or Biden or Pelosi be um, the the figurehead and, and to rail against them. It, it's very different when um, somebody in your community is knocking on your door um, and saying, hey, you know, I'm the Democrat running in, in your district. That, that's the only way that that perception can change in a lot of these areas. Right. Like, like them or not, and be frustrated with them or love them. Um, people know that Joe Manchin is a West Virginia Democrat. And like, they might identify Joe Biden or AOC, like you said, nationally, but, like, if you think West Virginia, you think Joe Manchin, and for good or bad, he's created the Democratic brand in that state. Yeah, and he's giving us our, our very, very narrow majority, um, and we would not be able to do anything that we have without him being there. Yeah, he, he might, you know, fight certain things that the progressives might want, but we don't have a chance at any of that without him there right and by the time this podcast goes up either he will have been the hero of the day or the villain and, <laughs> yeah, and tune, we'll, in, we'll see. tune in to find out um so uh with that again uh, sticking about as you talk about you being a new candidate you being a face of the party now in a way because of the status of democrats in kansas if you're running for office as a new candidate in 2022 in a lot of states um, you may end up having far more influence over Democratic messaging um, in a lot of states than you would if you were in, like, Illinois, where, you know, you're going to, if you're a new candidate, you're probably going to be a backbencher with Democrats holding control of everything, right? Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I'm in my second term, and um, I was luckily elected policy chair of, of the House Democratic Caucus, at least. And in, in a lot of ways, it, it's a meritocracy. If you show that you're willing to work hard, if you show that you're willing to, to benefit the caucus and grow the caucus, they'll, they'll respond to it. And so um, if you are talented and, and you want a really strong say in things, absolutely, you should run yeah. um, because it has been tremendously rewarding for me. So... You, you are newer to the political process, and of course anyone considering running will de facto be new to office if they win. What are some lessons you've learned in your quick time that people should kind of be prepared to learn from to be good at not just being a candidate, but delivering on their promises? I think I've mostly learned that the only thing that really, really matters um, in the big scheme of things, or the thing that matters most in the big scheme of things is grit. Mm -hmm. um, that, that if you work really, really hard, uh, that, that goes a long way. For me, it was, you know, I was working full time when I was running, and I had to come back home and knock doors for two hours every single day. And a lot of times I didn't want to. But if you do the numbers on 120 votes over eight months of campaigning, that's like 
five, six days and I didn't feel like going out and knocking doors, I would have lost. And mm-hmm. so it's just the discipline to be able to go out every single day to do that. And then for once you're in office, the the getting things done, I think a lot of, you know, you go on Twitter, which is how I learned about you and found out about your stuff. Um, people just want to be angry, but that probably doesn't help you, especially in minority status of getting anything passed. Yeah, I agree. And sorry, you know, so I'll be picking up some baby noises coming. That's okay. Um, but yeah, I, I being angry does not help because being in the super minority, the only way that anything ever gets done is by some sort of coalitions with the majority party. It, the only way anything gets done is in a bipartisan fashion. And so, to some extent, they have to want to work with you. And if you're up there throwing bombs all the time, they're, they're not going to want to do that. There's no incentive for them to help you out. But if you show that you're there, you're respectable, you know, you stand firm to your beliefs. I, I absolutely would not say, you know, cave on your beliefs or anything like that. But to show that this is what I'm fighting for, this is what's important to me, what can you do to help me out? I found that to be really, really helpful. And then, you know, it's not going to always be successful, like I said, with my conversation about right to repair. It's like, yeah, I really, like, personally, I'm with you, but, you know, I, I can't hold a hearing on this yet. You know, over time, I, I think it helps. And, and um, that, that, that's really the only way is to, to make relationships and, and find the one, one thing that you might be able to sway somebody on. There's a lot of conservative Republicans up there who are, for example, really pro-environment. That they're in agriculture. This is important to them. Um, there's Republicans up there who are really, really pro-LGBT because there's a personal connection there. And so by getting to know these people, um, that's how you're really able to, to find a, a vote count and how you can really see the path to getting something passed. So two last questions. One, based on your experience, um, what if someone is interested in running in 2021 or 2022 or beyond, what would you say would be your the first piece of advice you would give them to get off the ground to, to run? I would say you got to start talking to people in, in your district and seeing what's important to them. Because um, everything you do is going to be to benefit them, and, and you can't be running on a platform that is significantly different or not important to them. Um, so that would be my number one thing. And number two is just be prepared to work at it. Um, be, come up with your plan. It, it, there was a time where I was really struggling in the beginning of my campaign on what I was going to do. But once I sat down with my team and developed a strategy, like, hey, this is how many votes we need. This is what we need to do to get to that vote. Now it's just about executing on that every single day. It became a lot easier. You know, I had a plan when I got home from work. And even if I was tired, at least I know what I was going to do rather than just being like, eh, I have like four choices on what I could do. I don't really know which is the right one to pick. Once you have the strategy in place, it's easy to pick the, the tactics. And, and based on your how you won and the amount of votes you won by, it's extra rewarding to know that it was your work that paid off, not just because you were the Democrat on the ticket. Yeah, uh, 100%. That's correct. Um, There's just Again, thinking about eight months of this, there, there's so many different ways where you can not pick up 120 votes. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just tremendously rewarding to see all of that pay off in the end. And um, quite literally, my life go off in this different other path, which I, I genuinely, genuinely love. You know, as you can imagine, it's not always easy being a Democrat in the Kansas House. But 
Um, every day I'm thankful that, that I get to do it, that I get to fight on behalf of my constituents, that I get to uh, serve in that beautiful building. So it, it's been really, really rewarding. It is a cool-looking building, I will say, from pictures I've seen. Like, some sea capitals are cooler than others, and I, I think it is, um, it, it does show the, I don't know if it's the romance, but the grandeur of government at any level. Now, yeah, it really is. I, you gotta come. We'll show you I would love to. I would love to go anywhere, really. I, so, <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, lastly, though, um, you know, it, people, again, they might be in, discouraged from running in a place like Kansas or Missouri or even Florida. Um, what would be your... Why should someone decide to run now? Would you would you be encouraging people to jump in and do it? What would be your encouragement? My encouragement would be that the the moment demands courage mm-hmm. right now. You know, everything kind of, especially the last four years, has felt kind of on the precipice, right? Our entire democracy. And I think it demands people who are willing to be courageous and stand up for what's right, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. I absolutely believe with all my heart that the fight is righteous. Um, and, and we need people who are willing to take that on. And like I said, you might not win that first time. You might not win that second time. But there's no path to, to getting things back on track without people willing to do that. Great. Now, finally, um, I learned about you from... Twitter, and I do think that there are so many really positive and great people who are in local office or state office that I've been inspired by. If people want to learn more about you and find out more about Kansas, how should they follow you on social media and connect with, you know, your story? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at RishuKS, that's R-U-I-X-U-K-S, um, post photos of my baby. I post photos myself with Chinese glamour shots. I, I banter back and forth with both Republicans and Democrats in the Kansas House. It's a good time. Yeah, I really recommend it. Um, not Twitter necessarily, but I recommend everyone following me. Um, he's got a great story. Kansas is a place that has a lot of potential, and of course, that baby in the background um, <laughs> is a very beautiful baby. So, uh, Rhea, I really wish you luck both as a legislator and as a husband and father in the weeks and months and years to come. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.